We're looking for two oil boys who can grease us up before each competition. You do the thing you're scared shitless of, and you get the courage after you do it. That's the way it works. That's the dumbass way to work. It should be the other way around. You'll have to excuse my friend. The town is back that way. You should make a radical change in your lifestyle. I mean, the core of man's spirit comes from new experiences. That's the way it works. Don't worry, we'll catch our break too. Just gotta keep our eyes open. Hello. Welcome to Looks Like We're Lost, episode Michael Jordan. I'm Dustin Redazel. And joining me, he's raising awareness for distressed road signs. It's Tommy Cooksey. People, the, the people are split on whether or not we should start a GoFundMe for that poor sign. For people that don't follow at Tommy Cooksey on Instagram, you're Shame not you're you. not missing very much. But there is a sign next to my son's daycare that is propped up by a branch. Literally, it is hung on a branch, like not just propped up by a branch. It is it is literally bolted on to a branch, and a hole was dug, and the branch was planted in the ground. What kind of sign is it? It's like a stop sign is coming. Like it's like a warning sign that a stop sign is coming. Like it's not an unimportant sign. You know what I mean? It's not like a you know a, de- a sign with a deer on it. <laughs> like yeah, or I know a, a deer. Slow children playing. Yeah, like, like like how pointless is a deer crossing sign? Like yeah, I get it. Deer run across the road. Like what are you? Like, what are you? What are you insinuating? I like here? to have the heads up. I like to have the heads up. My favorite thing is when someone uh, slaps a red sticker on the nose of the deer, like Rudolph. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not too sure what sort of uh, tight budget highway maintenance is in in Raleigh, but uh, that sign needs a little help. It needs a little help, and and the branch is nicely manicured. I can't lie; it's a well manicured branch. Or maybe they're onto something. Maybe they're on it. Did anybody idea. else send you reasons for why they voted like they did? No one against the GoFundMe. Yeah, no, no, no one did. No one. Everyone yeah. was just a harsh, hard line. And and you can either assume that they think it's incredibly efficient and um, modern ingenuity, taking a page out of the night, you know, the eighteen hundreds, or. They're uh, hard-nosed capitalists that think that, uh, you know, minimalized spending is the way to go. Small government. How would you feel about if this is obviously ridiculous? (laughs) How would you feel about if our voting process on policy had a one to 10 with strength of opinion? So when you voted on something, you could vote your side, but then it got weighted based. But I'm only a six on this issue. Yeah, it. I think that I think the colors of the charts would be a lot prettier. <laughs> For sure. Like, how convicted are you? Is this the hill you want to die on? Like, how convicted are you? <laughs> well, at, at the very least, you would get people actually thinking about what they were doing. Yeah. But it would probably only take one or two cycles before everybody's just like, "Hey, you have to vote a ten on everything." Exactly. It wouldn't take very long, would it? No. It's like, well, I don't really care. Yeah, but if you don't vote a 10, you're throwing your vote away. I mean, dude, I I was reading this article today. Uh, Mitch McConnell in an interview said he is 100% committed to stopping Joe Biden. And it's like, how inefficient. Stopping him from what? All of his plans. I don't know. I mean, I 
I cannot. It, it was to me, and I and I know this happens on both sides. I'm not drawing a line in the sand and saying one way is better than the other. But how inefficient is government when when you literally have one one side that says I am 100 percent committed to not working together? It's like it's it's just amazing. It's like everything about that guy I'm against. Yeah. It's like everything really. Wait, he, he likes golf. Golf sucks. I'm a tennis guy. <laughs> heard, heard he wipes standing up. I'm, I'm out. Sitter for life. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, he likes he likes to play croquet. I'm a badminton kind of guy myself. I like to live on the edge. Yeah. It's like, geez, man. Well, it's just a terrible way to know yourself. <laughs> it's like I'm going to know myself is an opposition to this other person. Mm. I'm going to spend my whole life being reactive and hateful it's like and that's that's going to be a good use of my 70 plus years here i just i just imagine this this scenario where uh someone like asks someone like that a question and their opponent is on the other side and they're like looking at their opponent like well i'm gonna wait for him to answer they're just like turning blue in the face like "Mm," like committing to both sides until the other person says their stance i could go either way well, then uh, I'm going to go right here. Well, then uh, on a one to ten scale, I'm going left <laughs> ten. Exactly. It just came to me Gosh. in a daydream. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I will say uh, I want to correct uh, one thing Tommy said, which is if you're not following on Instagram, you are missing something. You're missing the chance to consolidate your mini dad joke accounts into one story follow. That is a true statement. Uh, if I want things from the dad, if I want things from rad dad, art of manliness, <laughs> if I want things from rad dad, I just got yeah, a, I got a new follow today, daily dad, which is actually really good. It's by Ryan Holiday. <laughs> oh, beautiful! Yeah, I'll tell you, that guy must have a lot of people working for him because his daily production is high. He's got daily stoic, daily dad, like. Does he just wake up and post to, what, 12 different daily accounts? It feels like, and, and I don't know if you how closely you follow, but he's recently been like getting into Instagram battles with people about what it is to be a stoic. And Big it, mistake. It feels like, um, you know, it's, and naturally it's all around like uh, vaccinations and things like this, um, mm-hmm. you know, social justice issues. And um, it's like we I think we've said it on this before on the pod before. Don't go, don't go slopping around with the pigs if you don't want mud on you, because there is nothing good to be had in the comment sections. I'm sure it's been said before, but I would, I would love to ask Ryan Holiday if if Marcus Aurelius were alive today, would he be on Instagram? <laughs> Depends on if he has a book he's trying to make a living off of. I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know. I feel like uh, it's impossible to imagine somebody like that. Like, even when I was going to say, who would he be today? I wanted to say Warren Buffett. I was like, well, that was a guy from 50 years ago. Yeah. Who just happens to still be alive. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Great stuff. You know, you caught me on kind of a weird week. So uh, everybody, um, if you haven't checked out, most recent episodes. Last week we had on 
John Ensign, uh, he was a Marine who did time over in Afghanistan, talked about that experience. Uh, both the preparation and rigor required leading up to it, and then the emotional fallout coming out of it. And, uh, man, I was just really impressed with John and the work he's done over what is, for the vast majority of us, an almost unimaginable experience. Yeah. I was, uh, I was being in combat. I, I was really <laughs> unprepared in a good way for how open and vulnerable he was willing to be. Um, and I think it really gave a good insight regardless of how you feel about war and, um, you know, U S military involvement and all these things at the end of the day, the people that are, that, that, that our soldiers in our army are people and they experience extremely traumatic things that I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say a percentage, but surely at least 90% of us will never have to experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that it's voluntary means that we can make the choice not to. And these people chose to do that. And so I thought it was a really, um, yeah, it was just really, really interesting story, but also very uh, open and honest take on, you know, at least at least one man's experience. So I really enjoyed it. Well, well, I was telling Katie and I were talking about it afterwards. And first of all, the response from my end has been great. I've, I've probably heard from like seven or eight different people who like wanted to talk about things that it triggered. Oh, wow. That's own, awesome. Their own mindset. But I I was telling Katie, I I was also unprepared, and I kind of even knew, like, the vague possibilities of what we could talk about. And I realized mid-conversation, I was like, oh, shit, I have not actually talked to a soldier about their combat experience in years. Mm -hmm. And I could feel how my ideas about what it is to be in war have been warping of their own accord. And I don't necessarily even think in a bad way, right? Like, I I think the forever war for economic control of natural resources is not necessarily a good thing. Like, I don't, I don't think I've got, like, a negative handle around it. But exactly what you said, I had lacked all empathy for the people closest to the situation. Mm-hmm. And I had just become like a private citizen pundit pundit on the on, on just the debate. Like t- taking part of the sport of, you know, oh, is war good or bad? Like yeah. where do I fall? It's yeah. Like, it's just kind of an asshole way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's so, yeah, it's it's not like you know, it's not like the, the, the men and women who are serving in the military are getting a slice of the pie. You know what I mean? It's not like, yeah. oh, we gain, you know, uh, control of all these assets and natural resources in the Middle East. Well, it's not like, you know, their bank accounts are inflated because of that. <clears throat> and, you know, it's just it's just like when we talk about with, you know, police officers and, you know, people of color, if you're not a person of color, like it, when it comes down to it, you can never know their experience firsthand. You can listen and and have empathy for it. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, 
I mean, I, I distinctly remember talking to John at, at Road 24, and I think he even said something to me like, he was like, dude, we could go deep. Because we were just talking about stuff. I think we had one session where he and I were rowing for an hour side by side at like, you know, 2 a.m. And it was sort of <laughs> like, I had almost forgot that conversation, but then talking with him again was like, I remember we connected in some weird way that was like, I want to know more about his experiences. And so it was a really cool opportunity selfishly to be able to have that. I and mean, I was glad he was, he was open to having the conversation. I was too. And it got me thinking about the, like how has my mind been kind of subconsciously framing an entire group of people. And I think about movies that I've loved, movies like Hurt Locker or 13 Hours, like a lot of, even Zero Dark Thirty. Like, the people who are typically the protagonists of those movies who are most involved in war, they they almost treat the war like it's an addiction. Mm. Like, like the soldiers, you know, Hurt Locker is very obviously about that. It's the whole point. Like, you can't quit it because he doesn't get that rush anywhere else but even in all of those it becomes like this weird obsession and i think the subtext to us the common viewer is like oh war is unhealthy and that's an easy thing to fall for because like it's obviously not good like war exists because of conflict and I think it it is the the final endpoint of some of humanity's worst tendencies in the way we treat each other. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that everybody who is there deserves to be treated like they're some second class human being because they've chosen to be involved in war. You don't you shouldn't treat them like they're a drug addict. Yeah, and hey, we. We should probably treat drug addicts a lot better yeah. too, right? But yeah, but I just it got me thinking about the whole if you want peace, prepare for war. Mm-hmm. And I felt personally a little bit convicted the more I thought about. It. I was like, how, how bad do I really want things to be better? I kind of avoid this topic. Yeah, like I, I don't. The reason I don't talk to soldiers or have soldiers as friends, like I tried to like grapple with it in the moment about fear, but it's just in general, the whole idea, I don't want to be close to it. Yeah. And I know that's not the right way to engage in anything like, you know, just shutting yourself down is, is not a way to be helpful or empathetic or even functional. And so it, it woke up a lot of stuff is all I'm saying. Yeah. And we don't, I don't need to dwell on it forever. No, I, I totally but. agree, man. I totally agree. Couldn't agree more. It was, it was awesome. Um, and, uh, wow. What a, if you ever, if you ever need a stand in co-host, my gosh, like the guy speaks <laughs> like, <laughs> geez, newest just, just was very concise and, uh, well-spoken and, but, but you're right. I think the stuff he was talking about, he had obviously put a lot of thought and a lot of personal work in on that, um, in order to be so concise. So, mm-hmm. So anyway, I recommend anybody who has it go back and listen to it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. As far as what I meant leading into that, saying you kind of caught me in an in between week is I feel like I'm 
I'm almost done with all these things I want to talk to you about. I've got about 25% of the book cast left, uh, which has been both a painful and enlightening read about uh, some of the psychology underneath race. Okay. Not just in America, but around the world. Um, Is that like C-A-S-T, like the old caste system? Uh, yeah, with an E on the end. C-A-S-T-E, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep, so like caste is primarily thought of as, uh, you know, uh, human hierarchy, mostly in India. Like they actually have people who are called untouchables. Yeah, and okay. Like you actually aren't supposed to touch them if mm-hmm. you're part of the, the upper caste. Yeah. And, you know, to us in the West, it seems barbaric because you look at, these two people and they look the exact same, right? Mm -hmm. Like, can't you tell that you're the same thing? And what the author does a really good job of is explaining that those biases that are actually invisible are the same things that build the divide between white and black, uh, in America. And interesting that we actually have one of the most deeply ingrained caste systems in the modern world. Wow. I'll be interested to hear your take on that. It's, uh, like I said, it's been a tough read. It's convicting and I don't really know what to do with it yet, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's one thing. And then I'm halfway through last chance you the basketball season. Great stuff. And it's awesome. I told you, but I, but I don't want to talk to you about it until I'm all the way through. That sounds good. Like, yeah, I've, I've had a ton of thoughts on it. So I'm kind of at a, like, I could, I could shoot the bull on a few things. So uh, I, I do, there was a couple of things that have, that have come up that um, I wanted to get your thoughts on. And, and by the way, l- last chance you, if, 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 so if you like the basketball one, the original football one was also really good. Um, mm. it might not touch as close for you since, you know, basketball was sort of your game of choice. Football was sort of your game of, I don't know, size in a, in a, you know, smaller town right <laughs> you had to but it's it's funny i probably i probably have stronger emotions tied to football but some of them are some of them are, are negative yeah and some of them bring up some things i don't like so it may not so, be a good watch for you it may not be a good well i think it probably <laughs> would be right it's just like i'm gonna have to like sit with some stuff yeah yeah. yeah, basketball was mostly just a joy yeah. in my life, and I I loved it. But what's you know we we mentioned it briefly when I was talking with John, and I said football teaches you some things different than what basketball teaches yeah. you, and he quickly agreed. Yeah, and I remember this was something we we kind of bonded in uh, bonded over in college. It's just like football's a combat sport. It is. Like, yeah. It. <laughs> It is painful and it demands a lot of you. Yeah. So I'm sure that those themes play really nicely when you've got a group of guys who think it's their last way to make something of yeah. themselves. Yeah. What's What's really mind blowing when you when if if you ever get around to watching it watching it is the amount of money and hype behind JUCO football in in complete contrast to the almost no money and no hype behind community college basketball and it could not That's be could not be more different so anyway and, and yeah and the, and the cast of characters is way different the coat the coaches on the football side are egotistical 
Whereas, you know, and we won't get too much into it, but the coach on Last Chance U for uh, for basketball out in uh, was it Long Beach? Uh, East, East, LA East LA College. East LA College, yeah. Is just yeah. seems like one of those dudes you'd run through a wall for. Like he's just one of those guys that feels. So anyway, so, some stu- here's some stuff that I've been sort of mulling over and uh, I don't know what to do with it. <clears throat> It started when I was listening to uh, the Rogan podcast on, um, and I forget the lady's name, but she was talking about plastics. Yep, yep, yep. And their Doctor Shauna something. Yeah, and and their impact, their impact on, you know, basically human reproduction. Um, Doctor Shauna Swan. Yeah, which so so there's that, and then I'm also you know, and I'm only. You know, listening wise, I'm ten to fifteen percent through the divide. Both of these problems feel enormous and almost I don't know, unhelpable. Like you like everything I'm drinking out of a plastic Nalgene right now. The the dinner that we ate, the chicken was wrapped in plastic. I don't know, like, and and that's not going to stop. And there, there's things like that. And then, you know, we've talked about this before, but like, you know, single crop farming, depleting the soil, 50 years left of, of plantable soil left. I have to almost just listen to it, read it, whatever, put the thought aside and then not consider it anymore because otherwise... I almost need to be like, I almost need to like put a tinfoil hat on. Cause I'm like, well, what the hell are we going to do? Because this is like, we're so far gone. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I got, mm-hmm. what do you do with that stuff? Uh, that's funny. You bring this up. Cause I had almost this exact conversation two days ago in response to, I went for a long run. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was Sunday. Uh, I went for a long run. And so I listened to about an hour of cast And, you know, man, you're just hearing so many stories. Like, there was this story uh, about this black guy who's been a longtime babysitter for these two white kids with this family, and the parents are out to dinner. And he's taking the kids out to get, like, a meal, and then they're heading back to the house. And this white woman starts following them. And, like, tries to ask him, like, if, hey, are these kids with you? Are they supposed to be with you? And he's like, yeah, they're, I'm I'm babysitting. I'm watching them, right? And so then, like, they get in the car, and this woman is then following them in the car. Mm. And then he, you know, about a mile or two down the road, there's a, a cop car that starts to, like, pull up behind him, lights on, and... He's telling the kids, he's like, and it's recorded on a video. You can go watch this online. And he's telling the kids, like, hey, please tell these police officers who I am, that I'm your babysitter. Like, please tell And, you know, to the kids' credit, they were awesome. Like, yeah. they stood up for him. And, like, he gave their parents' number. The officer called them. Like, it diffused. Yeah. But it was it was just, like, such an absurd, like, it's a human being with two kids and he took them to dinner. There was absolutely nothing that should have 
tricked yeah, right, anything, except right. that they look different, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, well, he's black and they're white. This something must be wrong. Right. And it's, it's like a bunch of stories like that, mm. right? And it did make me feel a lot like The Divide. And so Katie and I sat down and we were talking about it. And I was battling with two things, which is, one, if I were to advise any individual about what to do about, let's, let's take race. Like if, if I was advising a young black man about like, how should he like better his situation in life? Like, I don't even know if this advice is good, but I would just be very practical. I would be saying like, look for better or worse. This is the world we live in. And your best situation is to like find a nice neighborhood. Like if you realize, uh, the trend is going one way, like try to ride the trend, like don't stand up for, you know, don't spend your whole life trying to tear down a system that's bigger than you are. Uh, if you want kids or a wife, you want to give them protection. You want to give them a good life. Like I would recommend getting with the program, which sounds bad even as I'm saying it. Yeah. Because the other side of me is that the program is not good. Mm-hmm. The program needs to change. And I don't know how to reconcile those two things. Uh, I was joking when I, you had a post showing like a red and a blue team yeah. racing around a track. And uh, just another great nugget from the Tommy there it is. Cooksey Instagram page. Yeah. What can I say? Uh, yeah. Like, join up. So one has obstacles. And it's like, well, if that that blue team's been jumping obstacles for the entire existence of the race, even if you remove the obstacles halfway through the race, they have no chance of catching up. Right. It's already over. Yeah. And my joking response to you was, well, it seems like the obvious thing to do then is join the red team. Yeah. Like if, if the, the result is you have no chance over there in the blue lane, mm-hmm. well, it may suck and you may not like what the red side stands for, but like, you have one life and yeah. you've got kids and a wife and people who depend on you. Like give them the best life possible. Yeah. So man, it's the hard thing with that analogy though, is you don't get to make the choice necessarily. No, you like know? you, you when mitigate it com- when it right? comes to that. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yeah. It's, it can be, so, it, be it can become, it's great to be aware of this stuff. No doubt about it it's important to be aware of this stuff because we, and maybe, maybe where I settle on this is we have these types of conversations. You know, we have people that listen to the podcast. It makes them think a little bit. They have these types of conversations. We teach our kids these types of things that, you know, maybe wasn't as prevalent, certainly wasn't as prevalent. And and then, and then the system and the program does begin to change. But sometimes, you know, Sometimes the, these these systems and problems feel so big and so like, I don't know, man. Like, are we going to be eating like, uh, you know, 3D printed 
carrots in 70 years because we've depleted all the, you know what I mean? Or, or are we going to become, you know, or are we going to become a total um, import country? We can't export crops because we've depleted, you know what I mean? So there's these things that like sure. swirl. Well, where, where we landed, um, Katie and I, is first and foremost, the important thing to do is what you can. Mm-hmm. Do what you can. And that's different for everybody. Like, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit when it comes to things like uh, factory farming and like the dangers of monocrop agriculture is if you have the money, like take the time to understand the benefits of like your, your local butcher, a local farmer, yeah. Uh, spend the time to get to the farmer's market or pay a service to deliver. But those are those are like white-collar privileges to be able to do those yeah. things. But this is, if you are a person of means, your burden of responsibility is all the greater to leave a better society. And it starts with just doing what you personally can do. Yeah. There's, uh, speaking of Ryan Holiday, I actually heard this from him and I'm going to butcher it because it was like a year ago but there was some sort of uh, old saying that I'm sure the Stoics had but it's like from Greece or wherever somewhere and yeah and it was uh, society is best when old men plant trees under which shade they'll never sit Uh yeah I like that and I've never heard that and the whole yeah, and the whole point was like, you know, they did it with age because back then, you know, like only the elderly were wealthy, only they had accumulated. Yeah. Uh but now we're at a point where it's like, okay, we're two pretty well-to-do white guys. Well, you you've got a touch of ethnicity, but <laughs> you're a white guy. <laughs> I Come on, I have pineapples tattooed on my arm, dude. <laughs> but we're two pretty well-to-do white guys and we are coming across more knowledge. Right. And so when we discover these things, it really is our responsibility to do what we can first initially in our small circle. And then when you have the opportunity to share what you know, raising awareness, while it sounds silly, and I even cracked a joke about it to open this episode, raising awareness is not nothing because what it does is exactly what we're encountering right now, which is. I now have the responsibility of knowledge. Mm. Like there's, there's a common concept that goes way back that knowledge is suffering. And that's what you're, you're hitting on. Like I, I'm becoming more aware of these problems and these issues. And now because I have the knowledge, I have a responsibility. So when you spread awareness about the things that you're learning you put that burden on other people as well. Yeah. And when everybody has the burden, you end up with things like a civil rights movement. You end up with things like, okay, guys, we're actually serious about this global warming thing now. Mm -hmm. The thing that we've been talking about for three decades that no one did anything about, like now we all need to do something. Yeah. So it's, it's not a zero, right? It does do something to learn and talk. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I can land on that. I'm good with that. 
You know, you know, what made me think of. You know, what you made me think of when you said three decades. I had a T-shirt when I was in uh, second grade that that said uh, something like "Don't blow a hole in my ozone," and I had no. I got it from like a Kmart, you know, which is, but I didn't realize I was making such a political stance as an eight-year-old. Out of way, real strong. I was, you know, I was a I was a young mover and shaker. What can I say? Yeah, I th- and I think uh you know, we haven't gotten into it too deep, but it's it's eventually where I would like us to get this podcast is you and I pick a topic. Something that that burns on us. Like and we've we've kicked around a few different things, right? Like what what does ethical eating actually mean mm-hmm. or how how deep can we go on uh, the problem with U.S. prisons and like what's wh- how much do we need to learn to find out what is an actual uh, inflection point in that system where we could potentially make a difference or yeah. help out? Yeah. Um, you know, shoot your own your own physical fitness is one of these issues. Like mm-hmm. once you know that like the three white devils milk, flour, and sugar aren't necessarily great for you. Like you have a responsibility to change that and probably not feed it to your kids either. Yeah. It quits who you, the white devil. <laughs> Is that Ace Ventura? Ace Ventura. <laughs> Two, when nature calls. You know, ironically, I saw that one first. Oh, man. Not shocking from somebody who is late to movies. Really And I feel movies. like you loved it. Ace Ventura, too? Yeah. Oh, both of them. I was a Jim Carrey. I, I would say that uh, 75% of my humor was was formed on Jim Carrey movies in the mid-90s. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. A little bit of Jim Carrey sprinkled in with some Fresh Prince and some Family Matters, man. That was... Uh... Do you think if you went back, like, in retrospect, and you had to say, here is what I want the primary influence on my sense of humor to be do you still are you still power ranking jim carrey number one i'm gonna power rank uh yeah i think i'm still putting jim carrey at number one for me incredible especially you know minus the kind of going off the deep end here recently i still think his his humor at the time was was pretty spot on it was sort of like you either loved jim carrey or you loved adam sandler and I, mm-hmm. I liked Adam Sandler too. Don't get me wrong; he was funny, but yeah, Jim Carrey's humor was kind of right up my alley. It fit right in there. Like uh, the natural evolution for me was like Blink One Eighty Two, the Mark Tom and Travis show. Like that was kind of where my uh, where my humor evolved to, or devolved to. Probably, I don't know. Hard to say. Hard but yeah. to say. Yeah, the nineties get weirder and weirder. As we get further away. You know, if if I could go back, I would like a little bit more maybe Bill Murray influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was not a Bill Murray fan. He didn't like his sarcasm. So, uh, But I would have liked a little more Bill Murray mixed in with some, not 80s Bill Murray as much as like 90s Bill Murray. Oh, yeah. When he was getting more chill. He's got yeah. real self-aware about yeah. what he already was in the culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for me, the apex of Bill Murray is probably Zombieland. Oh, where, yeah. 
where every character in the movie has already agreed that Bill Murray is the funniest human being on the planet. (laughs) And me, as a person who is never actually a big Bill Murray fan, watching Zombieland completely bought it. It's like just in the ether, I was like... Yeah, Bill Murray's sense of humor is pretty spot on. It it totally reshapes when you watch movies like Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is exponentially funnier than what I thought it was. Ghostbusters is much funnier than I thought it was as a kid. Yeah, Bill Murray's right up there. I probably also really like, in modern day, like Andy Samberg. Mm, yeah. He just he can't miss really. It yeah I'm I'm always in yeah like I just it's it's silly enough and I find like I probably would have picked somebody a little bit more cool a little bit more reserved had you gotten me even five years ago mm-hmm. and been like I wish I was like that guy but now with kids in the mix I like the silly edge yeah have you ever seen Hot Rod? Oh yeah oh man what what a great underrated hilarious movie. Oh my gosh. Very underrated. Yeah. <sighs> Dude, so uh yeah, go ahead. Here, well, I was going to say here a quick quick pivot to something that um that that I that I came across today and I think from like years now of going through therapy and talking with you and talking with with friends about just kind of self-reflection. Um which, by the way, Russell Brand, if you're not following him on Instagram, absolutely solid follow. He's doing some good work. He really caught me off guard because until I found him again on Instagram, the last I had seen was in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, he's really had a bit of a renaissance since that time. But um, he posted this thing, uh, this quote by Eric Erickson. Great name, by the way. Uh, if you have a... if <laughs> Keep it simple. Yeah, I mean, if... If if you have uh, that, that's just be a, a nod to all parents. If you have a first name within your last name, definitely name your kid the first name, the same. Well, doesn't it automatically mean his son will be Eric Erickson too? Like that's an eternal line. It's like it's got to be. It's got to be. Um, no juniors. It's just Erickson's on repeat. It's just double E. All the way down. So, so Eric Erickson, I don't even know who Eric Erickson is. I didn't even look it up, but, but the quote is, is fantastic. It says, the more you know yourself, the more patience you have for what you see in others. And I it's, love that. You know, I don't think it's probably been said another way a hundred times by other really smart people. But I think that's been, <clears throat> for me, one of the biggest benefits, aside from like my own kind of ability to better function and cope with things in society, but being able to increase my level of empathy with others and recognize that someone cuts you off in traffic. It's not because they're an asshole. They're in a hurry and maybe they're always in a hurry and that kind of sucks for them, but it's not a reflection of you. It's just a reflection that they they have a lot going on or, you know, they're maybe they're just kind of a, a, an upset, sad person. But you also recognize that there's another side to to the coin. So it you know it's when when I when I hear people debating things or you know whatever, and they they say something like I don't know how they couldn't someone couldn't see this. 
for me, I'm always now like, well, I absolutely could see how they could. Sometimes it's a little harder. It's a little bit more of a stretch, but someone comes to a resolution or, or an idea or an opinion, usually not haphazardly, sometimes haphazardly, but there's a reason they landed there, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, it was just something that came across today that was like, yeah, that's that's it. No, I think, so my favorite novel probably ever is called The Knicks by Nathan Hill. I've... Dude, I'm gonna give it another. I looked. I looked on Libby. It's not on Libby. And I, I recommend it to so many people, but it's like 700 pages. Oh. It's, and it's those are, it's a small print too. Like those are a full 700. Yeah. Uh, but there's a line towards the very end of the book, and I read it for the second time ever. When I was probably, I was just on the other side of like a rock bottom moment, like a couple weeks removed. And I think partially because I was so bottomed out, I was like, you know, there was something about that book that touched me and got me inspired. Like I need, I need to get back into that feeling, like whatever it was. And it's almost at the very end of the book. And it's un unraveling one of the primary characters and explaining where they've ended up. And the sentence is, seeing yourself clearly is the project of a lifetime. Mm. And to me, I, I realize that my idea of myself is not actually who I am. My idea of myself is like a pair of glasses I see the entire world through. And if I do not see myself clearly, I cannot see the world clearly. It's like they're foggy or they're out of prescription, and I need to get it updated on an annual basis to make sure I'm seeing things right. Well, isn't it true too, Dusty, that if you don't see yourself clearly, you allow yourself... You allow yourself, your vision of yourself to be seen from others, right? So how some, how other people perceive you becomes your identity or becomes your view of yourself. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I was just thinking about that. No, totally. It's dead on. And we, we run into this all the time. And the reason I've done so much personal work on my own past and like trying to understand things about my childhood and my teenage years and my 20s is... There's things that you accidentally take on, like, uh, you know, am I good at math? It's like, well, what does that even mean? Yeah. Right? Like, did you spend much time learning math? Are you interested in math? Have you continued to develop your abilities in math? It's, it's just information and a skill set. When did you ever pick up the idea that you were either good at it or bad at it? Mm-hmm. You probably thought... I don't like doing this, or you got a bad grade on a test and somebody else got a good grade and you just thought, oh, they're smarter than me. Yeah. And like all these things that are not binary and not set in stone and we decide to make them part of us and let them guide our life forevermore. Yeah. And it's the way we see everything else. And so once you unravel those things about yourself, to your point... 
you do understand in, uh, when someone else is just stuck in a moment or going through some feelings and you don't you don't put them in this static box that says oh that's what they are always and forever yeah it's like no there's just something they're experiencing or like they had a moment yeah you know yeah i think i mean dude so that 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 is directly in line with this uh thought that i was having <clears throat> today where it's like i think we're all very quick to judge or condemn someone for a moment they might have a situation they might have or a behavior or something. And we either see ourselves as not having those types of flaws or moments, or we want other people to overlook those very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, what I've learned through all this work is the ability to forgive others and forgive yourself more quickly is absolutely freeing. And um, I don't know. It's it just, it's just something that's been, that's been stuck with me for a while because it's like, yeah, I mean, it goes back to that, that we, we talked about that interview on the um, armchair experts and I'll have to pull his name back up. I think it was um, started with a V, but he, he, you know, he's had a book on empathy and uh, yeah. Anyway, it's 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 I, uh, what you just said tied directly into this this thought that's kind of been swirling in my head all day. No, I think it's worth revisiting, probably on a weekly basis. Like this this, like see yourself for who you are. Like actually be in touch with what you're feeling, um, because it starts to undo itself for whatever reason. Human beings, we seem to tend towards a personal bias that creates stagnation with our self-image mm-hmm. because we like being right. And, you know, you'll see some things on Instagram or hear like motivational speakers who will be like, oh, I love being wrong. When I'm, when I'm wrong, it means I've learned something. And it's like, okay, I get what you're saying, but I hate being wrong. Yeah. Because... I've got things I want to do. And when I find out I'm wrong, this is like the situation with cast or the divide or finding out about plastics. Oh, I'm doing all these wrong things. It's not like I just learn and everything's fixed. Oh, something is wrong. Now I have to do all this extra work to be right again. Yeah. To like change my life, to be back in the black. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I hate being wrong because it means I have to adjust and I can actually now feel myself like, uh, you know, last year I, I read, read or listened to so many books, like just a ton of informational uptake. And it was like, it was an exhausting year. It was good. But like, I, I had to rework so many processes yeah, so that I felt good about my life. And, uh, I can now feel myself like, if I've got a lot going on, I don't take on a book. I'll just listen to like some NBA and TV podcasts yeah. for a couple of weeks yeah. until things have died down. It's like, okay, am I ready to tackle this thing that might like force me to make some new policy? Yeah. And so I, I don't like being wrong, but I understand. I understand the benefit. Yeah. I guess. Uh, I had one one question that 
kind of ties to this. Yeah. And it finally allows me to dip into the podcast questions for Tommy on my notes app. <laughs> and then we'll uh, hit maybe our, move on hit to our, the weekly hit, segments. Yeah, yeah. Hit our questions. Hit our yeah. recos. Yeah. It's fine with me. So I don't know where I got this from because it's been sitting in the app for a while. Yeah. But I thought it was a pretty good one. Um, what is the audience or what hat are you wearing when you find yourself being the best version of yourself? And what about that role could be duplicated so that you could bring that version of you to more of your life? Does that make sense? Ah, there, so this is going to seem like a no brainer, but I'll, I'll give some more context to it. Vacation, the vacation version of me is the best version of me. Really? Yeah. Um, I feel like that can go either way. That's, I'm, I'm glad that you're a good vacationer. I'm a good vacationer. Um, I really do a good job at turning off the noise as something, if something crucial is up, obviously I'll check back in at work or at home or, you know, with, with family or whatever. And the audience is my family and, and very specifically, um, Annie and, you know, with the kids, I mean, you guys have been, maybe been on trips with your kids. I don't know, at least with one, maybe not with two yet, but it's not really as necessarily a vacation. It's just moving your life to another location without all the comforts of home. <laughs> like mm-hmm. as someone said that it's like, it's not a vacation. It's a trip when you, when you, yeah. when you have two young kids, but, but I know that in time that, you know, they will be the benefactors of, of vacation me, but <laughs> I'm, I'm less worried about spending. I'm more free with the spending. Cause we're there. We're already there. Annie always jokes like when we go, you know, we go on a trip, we went to Chicago, we walked the Magnificent Mile and I'm just like, hey, let's buy this. Let's get this. I got a new pair of jeans, need some new shoes. And I was just very loose. Um, and it's like, you know, at, at that point, of course, you know, we have the benefit that we that we save and we budget for our trips and stuff. But I'm not thinking about, well, this dinner's when we order dinner, we just order. We just keep ordering because like we've already budgeted for it. We're, we're good. And so if I could, if I could bring us, I can't bring that whole version of myself back to reality, uh, because we'd be in serious debt. Um, but you know, the, the ability to not worry necessarily not hold tight to the wallet, it's sort of freeing, you know? And so that, mm-hmm. I think that's probably when I'm, I don't know if it's the best version of myself, but it's certainly a version of myself that doesn't exist outside, outside of that as often. Well, it sounds like it might be the version of yourself that you enjoy the most. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I think, I, you know, I don't... Uh, and what I mean by the kids will eventually be the benefactors of that. It'll be like, you know, we'll be... You want to go putt putt? We'll go every night. <laughs> we'll go putt putt golfing every night. You want to go to the batting cage? You want ice cream? Let's do it. Let's go. 
you want to go to every surf shop on this beach? We're going to go to every, like, you know, that's, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, because of what we do, you know, in, in a sales profession, you sort of have to have everything kind of tight together to a degree, forecasts, commits, and contact customers, and did you call this customer, and every day is sort of a sprint downhill. Going on vacation is just, it's frolicking. It's like frolicking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What about you? I like that. What about you? Man, I don't know. Part of the reason I put this question down is like I kind of wrestle with it. Yeah. You know, well, because like for everything we just talked about, I I spend a lot of time consciously thinking about my self-image and thinking about like the person I want to be. And I do think that there is a healthy tension between wrestling with the aspects of me that I dislike so that I can, in the long run, be more of the person that I do like. And so I don't know that the audience part there is tricky for me and which hat I'm wearing because I think I'm probably my best self when I'm a person that other people aren't around. Mm. Like when I'm doing some, some deeper work, maybe it's, maybe it's in therapy, maybe it's uh, with my writing and I'm really confronting some hard truths about myself. You know, it's kind of like, uh, when are you being your healthiest? Like, even, like, that's a difficult question because it's probably when you're exercising. You're not taking on any more calories and you're punishing your body and it's hard, but that allows you to be this other person who doesn't worry about his health because I'm good, Yeah, you know? I've done the work. So I think I'm probably my best self in those moments, but I guess to answer the question in a way that is more helpful and genuine, (laughs) uh, I considered like podcast me. Yeah. Like at least, at least when we're here, like take the, the conversation with John, right? Like I don't listen to people as well as I do here. Yeah. Like the fact that we put everything down and I'm like really trying to understand what he's saying and think of like engaging ways to empathize and to, to further invest in whatever emotion he's trying to get across. Like I would love to bring that to every conversation I'm in. And I think I, I've got, I'm getting better at it. This does help. Yeah. Like I can feel it when I'm on, when I'm on calls for work, when I'm on calls with my employees. Um, I can even sometimes feel it when I get into a conversation with like a family member who's visiting. But, uh, I don't know. I think the question mostly makes me feel like I'm a pretty selfish person who doesn't think about others enough. Well, it is, it is, well, I wouldn't say that to be true at all. I mean, that, you know, it is funny though that you're, when you're your best self, it's in deep self reflection with yourself. 
And when I'm at my best, you consider my best self, it's literally like the exact opposite. It's like (laughs) zero regard, but no, but, but I would also, and that doesn't make you a bad person, dude. I mean, that's, there's, there's nothing wrong with, I know what you mean though. I know what you mean that it's like, I'm my best self when I'm keeping myself to myself. Yeah. Which, yeah. And some of this is like, are you, uh, what is it when you're like a quiet person versus outgoing? Oh, introvert versus extrovert. Yeah, yeah, some of this is that. Like, yeah. I think a lot of people, because I can be a big personality when, like, there's a bunch of people around, like, I think a lot of people think of me as an extrovert, but I always score introvert on any of these tests. And the fact that I need so much personal time yeah, to feel energized about life. Yeah. I think it probably makes sense. I'm probably just saying, like, classic introvert, extrovert stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I can I can also comment that the, doing the podcast has, it's just it's it's also helped me to ask the next question, like ask another question. Um, wh- whether I'm talking with my family or a customer, even like talking to like, you know, Everett, it's like he's saying some pretty profound stuff now, and it's like, well, let me ask another question about why he might feel that way or why he might think that or whatever. So. Yeah, curiosity, know. dude. Yeah. yeah. It is it's a skill and it's a muscle and like it gets stronger the more you try to do it. And so I think having some time where we regularly try to do that. Like, hey, what else do you think? Yeah. How do you feel about this? Like that's positive time. Yeah. I've uh have you done a stand and deliver thing for Cisco before? Stand and deliver. It's like a class. Yeah. I took a vacation when I actually had to stand and do the presentation. Oh, you did do it. Yeah. 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 You you sort of have to like pick a five minute thing you can give a speech on. Yeah. 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 Did they talk about like the, uh, the three parts that exist in every human conversation? Probably, but it's been, for me, it's probably been three years. So. Well, I did it recently. I found it to be pretty true, and I, I've been thinking about it with the podcast, but it's uh, it's acknowledge, inquire, and advance. And acknowledge is, like, John Ensign did this really well. Like, I would ask a question, and he would be like, oh, that's a great question, and, you know, I really appreciate you t- uh, thinking about it this way. Because we don't get to hear that very often. And so, like, he validates me. Yeah. Right? And then, like, inquiry is what we're talking about with asking questions and, like, taking interest. And only after you've done those things do you earn the right to advance your point of view. And where I'm terrible, as you well know, like, I can't wait to advance my point of view. I get excited. Like, I hear this and I was like, oh, I got an idea. Yeah, yeah. And I want to talk about it. Yeah. So... Yeah, this is this is all good practice. Yeah. All right, question of the week. We're not really strangers, self-reflection edition. What's a non-negotiable in my life? I'm ready to go, man. I actually talked with Annie about this, so. Fire away, pew pew. You know, uh, <clears throat> had you asked me this question, I don't know, three, three or four years ago, maybe even a year ago, I would have said respect. And then I started thinking, yeah, I started thinking old school. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I started thinking about that 
and and it was it is old school and it uh i think it gives too much of myself to another person and um somebody's respect or lack of respect for me or my family or whatever is a reflection of them not me or my family or whomever so and it also it also caused me a lot of like heartache like you will you will respect me don't disrespect me and and, and part of that is being you know you know learned type behavior so mm-hmm. that that's out the, out the window i think the non-negotiable for me has got to be probably honesty mm. and um not only are we teaching that to our boys that you know you should never be afraid to come to mom and dad with anything. We prefer honesty over honesty and kindness over everything else. There's nothing that you can tell us that is going to make us angry or, you know, you know, take love away from you. We want to be there to help you through everything. And I, I I read it and I think I sent it to you in the art of manliness. Uh, you know the the difference between being kind and being nice. So honesty ties into that for me mm-hmm. because you can be nice to somebody. You know, hey, um, what what whatever, and and you can sort of glad hand them, and that's nice. But being kind, you can be honest, give them a true opinion in a way that doesn't tear them down. Um. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, one lie creates another lie, creates a big spiral of lies. And for me, one little lie uh, will, will you know, short, short circuit my sensors. It just doesn't feel good. And so me being honest and honest to me because trust is such a big thing. And so if I can just, whether it's a friendship, a business relationship, family member, if I know that what you say is what you mean, I don't have to worry about anything else. I don't have to think about an ulterior motive. So for me, honesty is the non-negotiable. It's not, it's not irretrievable. So if, if someone were to lie to me, it's not like it can't be, it's not like they become then a liar to me, but there is work that would then have to be done to regain that level of, I know this person has honest intentions or is telling me the truth. So that's where I landed mm. on that one. Man, you know, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I also love hearing that like you wrestled with an idea and you changed it to something else, something that I think is more substantial. Yeah, I agree. The, cause kind of where I've landed with honesty over the years. And I remember us trying to like hash this out back on the Cheeto dust pod with, with truth. The, I think it's just kind of at the heart of being a solid, reliable person. Like I'm not going to have the best advice for everything, but somebody who picks honesty as a non-negotiable is somebody who has to wrestle with the ideas. Like, you can't know you're being honest unless you've thoroughly thought through the issue. 
Like when people just say like, oh, well, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah. Those aren't the words of somebody who's like, and that's the truth. Right. And I don't know, like when I think about my own kids, like I want them to be able to, to know that I'm going to be solid. Like that they can lean on me. There's no duplicity here. Mm -hmm. There's no, I'll say this and do something else. Like if you got something from me, that's what it is. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I love that. It just says a lot about a person. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, man. What do you got? Uh, you know, you, you almost, something you said might've changed my mind. My <laughs> initial, my initial answer that I still probably believe. And yeah, I can tie these together. My non-negotiable is nothing. Everything is negotiable. I believe in change. And uh, one of the things I wrote recently to Walter was that uh, if you believe in change, then as you get older, you evolve. If you can't accept change, then all you do is age. Mm. And I want to evolve. I want to be better 30 years from now than I am today. Uh, so I think to, to feel that way, everything has to be negotiable. Um, and you know, you can quibble, right? Because actually I think honesty is a great call. It's not really a non-negotiable. It's just like, Hey, you thought you thought this through all the way through. And if a few years down the later, new information comes to light, then it's not being dishonest. Yeah. It's like you were just wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so so I don't think that we're actually disagreeing on that point, but like for me, I need to keep an open mind. Yeah. I guess another way to say this is curiosity for me is non-negotiable. Like I've got to believe that no matter how much I believe in something, I only, you know, it's like strong opinions loosely held. Yeah. You know, if somebody came at me, like, look, we used to think everybody knew gravity was real. We stick to the earth. Yeah. We had no idea what caused it, right? And if somebody came to you with ideas about like, well, you know, uh, we're actually spinning around the sun so fast that we stick to the earth. You'd be like, oh, that's a crazy idea. I don't yeah. know. But if they came with you like, oh, well, all things with mass are automatically attracted to each other ridiculous yeah like i've i've seen two things sit right next to each other and never inch towards each other yeah. ever yeah right it's just it's all but like we we know these things differently now so i don't even think our most factual ideas are actually factual and that's not like opening up the the world for all conspiracies or like hey we can we can renegotiate whether the earth is flat yeah it's just the general idea that I can learn about anything at any time. And no matter, more importantly, no matter what opinion somebody brings to me, I am not going to be a person who says, you're an idiot. I dismiss this. I'm going to be a person who says, yes, and like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, let's play with this. 
And I think that makes me more acceptive and more inclusive, more accepting and more inclusive. And it's a happier way to live. Life. I like that. Yeah, curiosity. I like that. So I love it, man. Um, recommendation. Thank you for sharing, as always. Pleasure's mine. Pleasure's mine. Uh, y- you might... You might find my recommendation if you peruse the um, the ultimate social media platform, LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> it is just recommend LinkedIn itself. Hey guys, there's this awesome professional networking site you, you want to check look, out. Look, I, I, I have. I'm not gonna lie. There, there are there there have been some positive movement for me on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie. A year ago, I didn't know my login credentials. Now I'm seeing some potential of how this thing could be used. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm going to say standing while you work. And mm. if you are someone who is a, you know, a knowledge worker, you listen to this podcast and you work from home, work in an office, whatever, investing in either a standing desk or some apparatus that allows you to stand while you work will change your ability to work for a number of reasons. Ooh, I like this. So there, there is obvious, our bodies are made to move as we've said on the podcast many times. We're, we're meant to be physical creatures. Um, you think better when you're standing and pacing, walking, um, your joints will hurt less. Um, and if you do any type of like presenting, you know, like like we're in sales, so we have to be on video and present to people when you're standing to deliver a presentation or a meeting, you're more engaging because you're able to lean into the camera. You create a good frame. You use your hands better. Um, as you're moving, you're creating energy in a meeting that's otherwise looking at a blank screen. And so I've just found it to be, I mean, I've had a couple of, of management folks say that, you know, from a, from a visual standpoint, even though, you know, my background is a bed and a popcorn ceiling, it creates energy as I'm, you know, talking and presenting, which you can't do when you're sitting. Yep. Anyway, so I motion get, creates emotion, motion creates emotion. And I think I got one on Wayfair for like 250 bucks. Auto Ray, it's electronic. It is worth the purchase. So that's my recommendation. Standing whilst you work. Well, should we uh, should we get video to this podcast ever? I will make sure we have a standing option in the carriage house so we can just get really dynamic. We are just gonna we'll get after it. Carry the microphone around <laughs> with us. Ah, that's a good wreck. That's a good wreck. I've been. Very hampered by COVID. Had a standing desk in the office. Loved it. It you know the the ultimate uh, nail in the coffin for me was like I just started having really bad like hip and knee pain that I never really had before. And once I started standing, it's like you know it basically went away. So I was noticing like my shoulders were more sore because I was leaning in more. Um, and I was more tired. I la- I just was just like I just had less energy. So absolutely worth it. Hmm. 
Get it for the carriage house. My recommendation. Uh, man, I just felt like I had a crazy audio shift here. I still hear you fine. Wow. My recommendation, get your ears checked. <laughs> uh, so my recommendation is something I've been doing all year. And I may be attributing too much credit to it, but I'm making the recommendation anyways. A hundred push-ups a day. Oh, okay. It has been a hundred push-ups a day since January one, and I've probably, I've probably missed ten days, right? Yeah. Uh, but hey, part of the fact that I don't believe in non-negotiables is that I build flex into my goals and commitments. Mm-hmm. So. I, how, how are you doing these? You doing sets of 25 throughout the day? You hitting out 100 at a time? So if I'm in a hurry, I'll do five sets of 20 as I'm like changing clothes, getting ready for my workout. Yeah. 20 push-ups. Take off my shoes, take off my socks, get my, my gym shoes and socks. 20 push-ups. Take off my pants, change my shirt, like bring them over to where I'm changing. 20 push-ups, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like. If uh, if I'm beginning a workout and I've got like my kettlebells nearby, I'll do ten set of curls, fifteen set of curls, twenty set of curls, and like I'll just work them into the aesthetics portion yeah. of before I do a Peloton ride or something yeah. like that. Okay. But either way, like once you get used to it, like once you get over the idea that a hundred push-ups is like, oh man, that's a lot of push-ups. It's not that tough. It's not bad. Like it, it happens pretty quick. Yeah, and uh, and it becomes like no big deal. Yeah, and so that's where I think the recommendation comes in. Is like a hundred push-ups a day sounds like it's going to be something. It's definitely not more than a five-minute commitment. No, tops. Yeah, and. Look, it could be other things. Like I feel like the diet's gotten tight, but for the most part, I'm I'm intermittent fasting. I was eating healthy last year. I'm eating healthy this year. I had the Peloton last year. I have the Peloton this year. But I just feel like my body looks better. And the push-up is an aesthetic lift. Oh yeah. And and I think the accumulation of volume has been doing good things for my chest and my shoulders. I feel like my abs are getting to a better place. Like it, you know, it requires a plank. Like I just feel good about the results lately. And I think I'm far enough in, you know, we're we're in month five, where I feel comfortable saying there's real benefits here. And it's not enough of a workout that it'll prevent you from doing whatever else you would do it automatically becomes extra into whatever your usual workout routine is yeah so if you can just commit to it it's it's been great for me it doesn't feel very difficult anymore and i think there's real results there so i can i'm ready to recommend it 100 push-ups a day i mean look if any anyone has any interest in that here's an easy way to get started 
you set a timer for 10 minutes and every minute you do 10. If you need more yep. time than that, you know, 15, whatever. Um, yeah, th- there's something about the push up. It's like something you'd expect to see Jack Pearson doing from This Is Us. Like he just does a lot of push ups. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says the right thing at the right time all the time, and he does a hundred push ups a day. You know that scene uh, where they have Randall climb on Jack's back in the wrestling uh-huh, gym, uh-huh. and he does push ups. Yep. First of all, very emotional. Oh my gosh! I was like, I was like, yeah, man. I, I'll do a, I'll do a hundred push ups with Walter. On my oh neck. yeah. Let me tell you, a, a little. I got Walter on my back like a couple it's days not later. Not that easy. I was curious. It is super difficult. It's not you that throw easy. thirty-five pounds on your back, and it's a real workout. It, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a good recommendation. Yeah. I like that. So, man, Sp- I mean, what a great combo. Speaking of uh, of daily standing desk and a hundred push-ups, you are gonna you're gonna look great. It'd be great. It's beach season. Here's something that that will will. Um, I think we've committed to it, and if we haven't, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna commit you to it right now, barring any injury. Um, one of our mutual friends and friend of the pod, Dylan Richards, has committed himself to running um, at least a mile, usually one to three miles a day for 365 days. Just like Jocko, every day he posts a picture of his watch, distance run, and uh, he's. Gosh, he's 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 stuck to it. He's however many weeks in. He's his his weeks are in double digits at this point. So, Dusty and I have committed to potentially joining him for the month of July, the dog days. And uh, let's say if, if if there's any um, listeners out there that want to join that, send us a message. You can join the fun. Dusty's podcast or Dusty's. Audio is not picking up. His headphones have died. Meanwhile, I am plugged in to the headphone jack. So this is now that looks like the We're Tommy podcast. And uh, we're going to go for another hour or so. No, anyway. <laughs> hey, appreciate you guys listening. Um, rate, review, all the good stuff. And uh, that's it. Thanks a lot. See you guys.